Uh, well, I, I do want to hear more about the, the you said 18. Yes. Is when you started balding. Yes. Were you mortified? I, like, I was in the closet, so I didn't think about physical appearance at all. Not at all. I mean, I, yes, I like not at all. Um, it just, to me, it was just like a lost cause and better not to think about it. And so I like truly had no emotional stake in the game until by the time I was like, oh God, it would be nice to have hair. Like the <laughs> hair was all gone. And I think it was many years later before I started seeing like the fat guys who like, who are like have sparkly eyes and and look like a three-year-old because they have like a nice head of hair and i was like oh if i still had that hair from when i was young it, w- it would be a different game um, would you ever get a because ha- i have friends now getting the hair trans they go to turkey to get the hair transplant oh well, yes like every gay guy i know is going to have questionable like medical procedures done on their hair um i well, are they questionable is it still kind of a well the thing is is the th- they're spending so much money on the steroids that are taking their hair that I think they only have money. I mean, like Tijuana medical procedures or like going to Bangkok or you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Turkey or whatever. Um, you know, I would feel more comfortable having it done in Switzerland or Beverly Hills, but I'm sure that that would be more expensive. I There was a comic who, who got a hair transplant and I asked him how much was it and he would not tell me. Oh, wow. Which made me believe like it must – He's embarrassed by how much he was willing to spend yeah. on it, which I, listen, I get it, but it must have been, it must have been five figures, I think. Or just uh, yes, uh, like I'm sure it's five figures, or you see the guys who just have a great rug, and sometimes I'm like, good for them with their great rug. The thing is, is <laughs> I just have already established a brand, of course, in this situation. Like you know, you can you can only pivot so much. And, like, he went from sort of deforestation to, you know, rich reforestation. You you can't go from, like, desert to the Amazon without people being like, what's going on? <laughs> I suppose I could turn it into a story of empowerment. I really think I just need to focus on um, having the moles on my head removed. Is that something you're, you're planning on? I, I, like, I nick them constantly when shaving my head. Sure. And so I'm just like this isn't going to end well. And so I think I should have them taken care of. And they're just like, truly, when I'm on camera, they are sort of like a lot. My deepest hope is that my career in entertainment will lead to like a dermatologist being at home and like watching like some sort of Hulu program and then be like, "Uh uh-oh, that one, that one on the left, he needs to worry about. And then we'll send me a letter. Like that would. That's how you want. I listened. I recently had some people diagnose me with, um, uh, what's that? they said I was getting too yellow on screen. Oh, uh, they thought I had jaundice jaundice oh, and it was just my ring light. I have a shitty oh, ring light that yes. kind of makes me yellow, but I got this long email like, Hey, big fan, but I'm very concerned about your liver. Oh, that, yeah. That would be, what would like, what would you, a thin person have to be doing to have damaged <laughs> your liver that hard? I don't know. Yeah. But, but yeah, I have a little, I have a mole here that I've always thought about, you know, it would be something that I, I'd be out of work for two weeks. I'd have to yeah. hide my face. But how how hard is it to take off a mole? What stopped you from taking it off now? I mean, the one time I went to a dermatologist to be like, to get naked and have him look at all of them, he was like, they're fine. And the one that wasn't fine, or there was one that was like annoying for some reason and he took it off and then he biopsied it. I don't know why I didn't consider doing the ones on my head, but I, I do just sort of like want to do the ones on my head. 
Yeah. Um, well, I might as well uh, welcome to the downside. My name is Jamarco Cerezi. Uh, uh, I'm here with Guy Branham. 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 Great. Branham. Uh, and you are Jewish. That's not a very Jewish name, but no, you are. My father is a Gentile. Yes. Same, same with me. My my Jewish mom is uh, in the other room, and yes. by room I mean the room separated by a curtain. We are at uh, Third Wheel Podcast Studios. I was hoping you were one of those real Italian Jews. You know, I was hoping that there was some sort of like, well, no, like uh, we've just uh, been in uh, Moderna. For, wait. Modena, Modena, Moderna is a maker of vaccines. Sure, we've just been in Modena since the sixteenth century. We're just like you know hanging around. Yeah, I wanted one of those stories. You want? I wanted to call me by your name. A call you know? me by your name. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm just, just. It's just a little bit Italian. My dad's yeah. a little bit Italian. My mom's a big old Jew. Mm-hmm. Um. So, uh, uh, thank you for being here on the downside. I've wanted to have you for a while. Normally we have theme music, but it costs extra. That's so fair. no theme music today. Yeah. Okay, uh, can I make one Please. more joke? I'm tagging this a little late. Um, I mean, like, you know, the if my last name isn't isn't Jewish enough, the the jurist doctor that comes after it, let's certainly hope, is chewing <laughs> up the name. Let's let's let that be nice. Yeah. Are you seeing anyone now? Oh no, no, no! I said jurist doctor. Oh, jurist doctor. I thought you were going to date one. No, I went to law school. Oh, um, I see. Yes. So I'm, your title is. I'm a, yes, I'm a JD. If I were to put that on my name and sign it, it was not a very good joke. Uh, no, I think it probably was. You, it's just a very specific sure. audience who graduated yes. Juris Doctors. Um, I am not in a relationship, and uh, my <laughs> only the only relationship that I've ever had was with a man who is truly professionally a worthless layabout, and so I mm. don't think I will be power coupling anytime soon. Do you think it would be a nice a nice Jewish a Jewish boy though? If if it happened uh the only relationship i have been in was with a jew not a nice one um but he would it was like it was nice to have somebody who understood complaining and being complained to it was nice to have somebody who understood like that my love language is gentle arguments absolutely I've, i've said it before and i think that's why i did this podcast theme was I remember. I just remember once going on a date. I very briefly went through like a real okay cupid type phase, mm-hmm. and there was just a woman who said like you, you sure do complain a lot. And I was yes. like, I was like, oh yeah, yeah. I, I sure do. But yeah, that's your way of communicating with the world, right? You can have a good time and complain about things. Yes, it's it's truly wonderful. It's the best thing to do. Um, are you you're in a relationship, right? I am in a relationship with yes. with a with a very Jewish woman. Mm-hmm. Do you know Tova? Tova oh, Silverman? Tova. Yes, I know Tova. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Where do you know Tova from? Um, we were backstage at a show that she was organizing, and Tova like did the real work of downloading so much of who she was to me over the course of, let's say, 15 <laughs> minutes. Like, um, you know, we went to the Orthodox upbringing. Like, it was, oh, it was the Biscuit Festival. It was this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She, I, I, I did not know her. I wasn't doing stand-up at that time, but yes. she went through a producer phase. Yes. But truly, one of the things I'm really looking for in a person is that they'll just give me all of the information I'm going to need up front, and then I can just start with the questions. Uh huh. Um, yeah, like that's how I like to know a person. I'm meeting her her family uh, for the first time in like two weeks, and it's like we're doing the Shabbat dinner. Yeah, we're doing all the Jew stuff. Yes, and I I didn't grow up with a lot of that stuff, so it's been it's been interesting because I I've always felt like I'm Jewish. 
emotionally. Yes. But that's it. And then now as I get older, it's like, all right, let's see. Can I go through this without rolling my eyes? And I'm doing my best for her. Well, it's like I grew up in a very un-Jewish place. The only Jews that I knew were my mom and her relatives. And so, like, so much of mine is just sort of like book-learning Judaism. Mm. And I I have recently met uh, some observant gay boys. And that is such a fascinating world to sort of, like, encounter and who have sort of, like, challenged my presumption about what level of participation or Judaism was appropriate in my life. Like, two weeks ago, Natasha Legera was like, are you coming to Purim? And then this gay boy was like, I'm going to Purim at Ecar tonight. And then I ended up going to a Purim carnival, which, let's be fair, is like, that's no fasting. Like, it really is the most fun way of, of approaching it. But it was just sort of like, okay, guy, maybe there's more space for this in your life. Well, I can't even imagine... There, I, I think I told it once on the story on the podcast where when I did Birthright a long time ago, mm-hmm. when Israel was still cool and fun yes. for everyone. Yes. I uh, the we had the 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 rabbi, the Orthodox. He was Hasidic rabbi, and he he said we're going to play a game. Uh, I call Stump the Rabbi, where you can ask me anything you want mm-hmm. about Judaism, and I immediately was like, "How do you guys feel about homosexuality?" And he told this like incredible p- political move where he was like. Oh, if someone came to me and said they were gay, I'd I'd give them a hug because the world is hard. And yeah. <laughs> that was like follow-up question. What the fuck you fall and then yes. people started crying and yelling. Oh, and it's like wow. you, you just oh it was amazing. It was yeah. a, it it went from the fun thing to people just collapsing. And one of those things where you dig a little deeper and you're like, Oh, there are some homophobes here on the trip too. Yes. And I just can't imagine not – I'm not gay, and that's enough to make me go, like, fuck this whole thing. But let alone being I mean, not welcome in certain – most of it. My attitude towards it has always been, like, I just right off the bat can't do the slate of things. So I will just be as cafeteria as I like. Um, you know, it's like I'm, I'm going to fail at one of the 613, so, like, I will only <laughs> – Pick the ones that I enjoy. And then uh, I was talking to this guy, Jason, who uh, I'm friends with. And he, he, like, he went to a yeshiva in Israel. And he very much was like, we are all failures at Judaism. And, like, no one is doing everything that they are supposed to do. And it was like, what a beautiful way of looking at that. But also, I don't know if that's right. I- <laughs> yeah, except in, in that mind, it's like. I don't like that the idea. Well, oh, you're gay. Well, that's one of your failings, and yes. I don't. And I sometimes eat bacon. It's yes. like, well, no, one of those shouldn't be both, frankly. Both, but frankly. Um. So yes. Yeah, so so we'll see. I, my priority, I try to make Tova feel because it's very important to her. She she has like her own. She has her own what feelings. If what if your little weakness is just murder? Like, what if your little weakness was just, you have some bacon, I murder on occasion. That, I could see a Jewish person be like, oh, you're gay? Well, let me tell you something about me. We both fuck up sometimes. Were you telling me about We're Tova? both penetrating guys sometimes, now and then. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just want to go... I, it's one of those things... I started as an actor, so like I, I know how to try to make myself experience something sincerely mm-hmm. say, to say a prayer and try to feel it mm-hmm. I remember when I went on Birthright uh, I, 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 and I consider myself kind of 
not wanting to be an atheist mm -hmm. deep down. And I remember going to the Western Wall and putting my hand on the thing and just trying to be there, be yeah. present. But it's gotten tougher. And then I became a comedian and now I roll my eyes at everything. So your mom lives here. How much did you have any growing up in Los Angeles? Did I have any what? Growing up in Los no, Angeles. No, no, no. Uh, I grew up in Potomac, Maryland. A okay. lot of Jews. Yeah. Uh, so I went to a lot of bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs. Um, and now she moved here about three years ago, I'd say. But, I mean, Los Angeles is such a rich heartland for actors being religious. And truly, what could be worse than, you know, a good, like, mosaic or, like, we have all of these wonderful nothing but hot actor churches and they're the best i i don't know i don't know what your your beliefs are but i would struggle i struggle with anyone talking about astrology <laughs> i struggle with anyone talking about crystals because i think truly my truth is i think you this is all complete nonsense yes and we're talking about nothing and there isn't I, – I, I struggle. Again, when I go back to the dating, some of these dating apps, it's part of yeah. the profile no matter what you do. And I hate it, and I hate it. I don't believe in – I don't believe in any of it, but I love a little witchcraft. Like I just love it as something to sort of like – the way I came to it was I was like, when I go on diets that have some small amount of witchcraft, uh, <laughs> like, you know, you drink a potion in the morning and then like beyond just sort of like eat less and exercise, I, I adhered to it more. And I was like, that's fun. Wait, tell me about this potion. Like what was, was in the potion? Okay, so when I was on the Fat Flush by Dr. Anne Louise Gittleman, you had to wake up every morning and you had to eat, you had to put flax seeds in water, stir it up and then drink it. And then hot water with lemon juice every morning and that was supposed to be cleaning out my liver and i don't know if it did anything and it all tasted disgusting but it was like i am doing the magic and so this is all happening and so i there are there are times like i don't care about astrology but i did do a tarot reading three weeks ago to explain <laughs> to me how i should be moving forward in the world now why um because i was People are always like, trust your gut. My gut, like, my gut only <laughs> tells me to fear things. You know, it's like my my gut the is... The Jewish part of you. Yes. It is full of uncertainty. And there, I was just like, I want to clarify how I'm thinking about something. I just sort of want to, yeah, clarify how I'm thinking about something. And so um, I do like, you know, just sort of like opening myself to, up to receive messages and my friend Ethan Hardy, who's a comic in New York, mm -hmm. I don't know if you know him, uh, he was doing tarot readings. And so I had him do a tarot reading for me. And it was just like seeing what my reactions were to what was being presented to me was like really valuable. And what did you walk away with? Oh, um, like uh, I walked away with an understanding that I, you know, I was just like, my specific questions were like, I'm trying to build an hour. What should I be doing? And it was like, you know, um, you should like. It was like be... you have an hour on tarot readings now. <laughs> no, it was like be alone more. Like uh, when in looking for people to sort of like go to during this time, go to people who are very open about their emotions and things like that that feel like sort of v like vague encomia. But 
you know, like having something to to hook yourself to, to sort of find an instinct that is like, I should be spending more time with Amy Miller. I knew that I should be spending more time with Amy Miller before um, the tarot reading, but the tarot reading was just something that was like, made me think that again. I, because uh, there's the cynical part of me goes like, oh, well, then you just needed to sit down and talk to a friend in a meaningful way. But that's what I did. I know. But why do we have to call it this? Because because does he believe that he, the cards are are magic? Um, It was about us taking roles. It was about him. Like, I mean, it was essentially about me letting him be the dom, which, you know, I don't do in a lot of conversations. Uh-huh. It, it was also about us saying, well, this whole conversation is going to be about me and what's going on with me, which are things that you don't normally do. And I think that's one of the things is my dad was a big fan of like, well, you don't need blah, blah, blah. You could just blah, blah, blah. And the thing is, is but will you? Yeah. A- and I think that, you know, something like tarot is setting aside time to think about a specific set of things. And if you do it without those structures, I mean, we're going back to Judaism here. Judaism is all about putting meaningless rituals around, you know, thinking about the way you approach the world. And it's kind of nice in that way. It is nice in that way. But then, like Judaism or any religion, those get used to then prop up People who then go to t- – then all of a sudden you got Ronald Reagan making uh, foreign policy decisions You're based on his wife. The, the terror wars. The, the t- yeah. No. <laughs> but, but like like it it's like – it's one of these things where I'm like, sure, it's fun as long as we all understand yes. that we're, we're experiencing ritual. But then you're mingling with people who believe. And that's where I – that's where I struggle with it because – because I go like, okay, guys, we're having fun or we're like having a experience. And then other people, though, they they don't think about it the way you are. That's true. But I also think that there is something valuable about um, leaving space for what you don't understand. And there are definitely people who take that too far. I mean, my mom loves a good conspiracy theory. My mom loves believing that she is smarter than the experts about something because uh-huh. she sort of heard something on the radio. And it is insufferable to me because, you know, I like a nice citation. Like, at the end of the day, (laughs) you know, I want the experts to be in charge. Um, But I think that there is something, like, to me, a tarot reading is like a massage or going to, okay, well, I I go to a place... On Beverly. We're just going to go deeper into cult things. By the time we end this, we're going into the Scientology Center. I mean, this. I go to a place that stretches me. Okay. And it's like, what what Los Angeles lady bullshit? Also, your mom and I should do it together more frequently. Um, (laughs) She's a Pilates teacher. Oh, really? Yeah. But, like, I mean, I don't need to pay somebody to help me stretch. I could just stretch on my own. But also, will I stretch on my own if I don't make an appointment and have, like... A nice person do it with me, which makes it so much better. How does it work? Are you like on a, is it like a massage table type thing? Are you standing and she just goes touch your toes? No, it like you get on a massage table and then, you know, like a guy sort of like lifts your leg up and pushes it further than you would on your own. It sounds heavenly. It is. We all need a good, do you do massages too? Of course. Oh, I had a really good massage. My Tova, we went to a spa and I got a massage. I got stoned before. Oh, Hot stones are so nice. Why is that so nice? Oh, oh you said you got stoned before. Stone. You no, no, way. and stones. Oh, okay. I got stoned and we did the hot stones. 
Though at one point I got two stoned and at, at one point I was on my back. I've had surgery once and I suddenly had the idea of, of like, oh my God, this is me going into surgery. And that yes. kind of ruined the massage yes. for me. Um, okay. Well, I did want to bring up, because I just, the thing I wanted to complain about, I just got back from a week in Vegas. Okay. I was at- A week in Vegas. I was, it was the Comedy Cellar. It was, uh, they book you for oh, a okay. week. Yeah. You do two spots a night. And uh, I'd been to Vegas once before, like just for a, a, a gig, an acting gig, a long, long time ago. And it was for one night, and it was perfect because I was getting paid a shitload of money. They took yeah. care of me. This was like, Vegas is not for me. Not for people like me. It feels like being caught in a scam. The, the, everything's a scam. Yes. And like the same way you go to movie theater, the popcorn's a little too expensive. It's six fifty for a small. This was like the popcorn's fifty bucks, and they're like, "Fuck you! What are you gonna do?" And you're like, "Nothing, I guess." Have you ever been to an all-inclusive resort in Mexico? No, that does sound nice. Or is it a scam? No, it's all scam. It's like, all scam. Like I, there's. They're always trying to upcharge you, and they are always trying to deny you services, and it is a nightmare at every turn. I think, well, first of all, Las Vegas, you should go to for 36 hours or less. You should never be there for more than 36 hours. And I understand you were there for work, like, but I guess it would be hard to do a week in Vegas and try to treat Vegas like it was Bloomington, Indiana. It's hard. You have to just go outside of, I guess, the strip. But like, the the club is in the hotel, so you yeah. feel like you're the the hotel. the The Wi Fi costs money. Yeah. The cafeteria that you get to use. I mean, I can't yeah. imagine prisons are are worse than this cafeteria. Yes. And and then and then uh, Tova joined me about halfway through, and so we were trying to like make a vacation out of it, do uh -huh. some shows. At any point in time, did you say to yourself, well, if I ever meet for a writing job on Hacks, I have so much to talk about. Uh, yes, yes, exactly. That's what I, I say. Listen, I spent a week here. I'm an yeah. expert. No one's, yeah. no one's been in Vegas for as long as I have <laughs> in the history of Vegas. Uh, and we, we went to go see some shows, and the, the one show that really just stuck with me of it was just everything was so wrong we saw david copperfield's okay. show at it was a, a matinee and david copperfield it's one of those things all the pictures outside and i like magic yeah i think i think i like magic more than i do uh -huh. and all the pictures of him outside are like him like kind of in his prime and then yes. you see him like oh you aged 20 years from the time we were waiting in line Aww. to seeing you and and he's very rich, so I feel like we can I can take some. He has that island. He has he has islands. He owns half of Vegas at this point. Yes. A couple of questions. Did it at any point in time where you like I wish there were more libertarianism in this magic? Because if so, there's always Penn and Teller. Uh, I I would have liked to see Penn and Teller. Uh, it actually was at the hotel I was staying at, but they were like off for the week. Yeah. I find Penn's uh, a commentary on stand-up comedy to be some of the most insufferable writing in the entire world. He writes about – I don't know if you're friends with Penn. I am not. But he, he talk, he'll, he'll talk – he'll be like, stand-up comedy is like jazz. And I'm like, great. Take two art forms you're not involved with, compare them to each other, and, and, and drone about it. He just loves talking about stand-up comedy in a way that – I would never presume to talk about magic right. with this level of like it's like uh, magic. It's like it's like house dance. It's like you don't know what's coming next. But I do find their shtick uh, entertaining. Yes, I, I mean I love a Vegas show because it's you know eighty five minutes and then you don't have to worry about parking afterwards or like getting out of. I hate live music, but like um, you know fucking. 
75 minutes of Ricky Martin and then you walk out <laughs> and you're just in the casino and like there are drinks readily available. It's so much fun. I yeah, I'm also not a live music fan. It's a struggle for me. I it's got to be very theatrical for me to be on board. I need some dances or some terrible script. Yes, I mean the thing is a it's terrible like, libretto in like, the Spice Girls concert. Good like good showmanship I appreciate. It is the process of getting there. What I'm supposed to be doing while I'm there. We're supposed to be like gently swaying and bopping around, but not really dancing. I don't know. Mm. Uh, and then, like, when you leave, it's like, oh, this is annoying. Everyone's trying to leave at the same time. Nightmare. I remember I saw, I think, Green Day when I was young. Like, my dad took me. And I remember saying to him, if everyone just sat down, we could all be sitting down. Yeah. But people the front row would stand, and then everyone was standing. Mm-hmm. And I still feel that way to this day. I say, can we all just sit down yes. and enjoy this? Do we all have to be uncomfortable? And that's how I feel about all but concerts. That's, but that's what a Vegas show is, is just like a bunch of people who want to be sitting down. Yes. The, <laughs> people were sitting at their show for sure. So David Copperfield, he's he's also – he's old. He's like stiff in the upper body. Uh-huh. So he's, his arms are kind of moving like this, uh-huh. but he's just like very stiff in the shoulders. And he's – Phoning it into a degree that's that's hard to like. There's phoning it in where you're not fully trying, but this is coupled with what the premise of the show is. And like most Magic Coast shows, it's very self-aggrandizing. Yes, fine. But it's about uh, uh, it's like he f- he talks about his dad who died uh-huh. and how he uh, lost a letter from his father, the final letter his father wrote him. So. And I assume his dad's dead. He's an old man. So I assume we're talking about a real human being that's died. Yes. And his actual father. So he finds an alien that's this incredible piece of animatronic machinery that he spends the whole show talking to. And the alien essentially, like, reunites him with his father. And he ultimately, like, gets the letter back and gets to read it. So the stakes are super <laughs> high. And he's phoning it in all the way. So at some point, the alien dies, and he's doing everything in this tone. He goes, oh, no, the alien's dead. We'll have to go back in time to save him and bring my father's letter back to the present world. Like, that's the level everything's at. And he so he goes back in time. He gets this, oh, my God, the letter from my father. I can finally know what my father's last words to me were. And it's that level for the whole show. And then he reads this letter. And I talk about my dad a lot on stage. Yeah. And so I, I, I think about, and Tova was, was one who kind of realized this, that you know he wrote this letter to himself yes. as his father. <laughs> and the letter is this, uh, basically like, uh, Dear David, I know we haven't spent much of the last many years together because you've been so busy touring on the road. And <laughs> as he's reading this, photos of him with the Dalai Lama and with the head of every country – but then I realized you touring was living my dream as well. And I'm so proud of you. And I love you so much. And actually you being away was, was the greatest thing that could have happened. And it's the biggest, like, like, uh, don't worry. Everything you ever did in life was correct. And you actually, your dad was proud of you. And so to see this man, he, I think he's 71 or late sixties, read an imaginary letter from his dead father who he has been portraying on screen and and for uh, saying how great you are while reading it in a monotone while people walk around with signs that say turn off your cell phone and 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 
doing a magic trip that involved your email, which very quick, which very clearly was just data collection for David Copperfield to continue <laughs> making millions upon millions. You're in this moment where you're like, this is horrible. Uh, you, we saw three magic tricks of big things appearing, but like, why is he doing it? Why? He's so rich. This yeah. is so awful. He's not having fun. No one in the audience is emotionally attached to this. It's your dad who's dead, which I'm all about fucking shitting all over just your, since my mom's in the room, just your dad shitting all over all your parents, your heritage. I don't give a fuck, but it felt so gross. It felt so like, why? I mean, that sounds like a magical evening to me. That sounds like just an amazing, <laughs> like an amazing confluence of commerce and art into something that's like, what's going on here? Why bring your dad into it if you're going to like say, oh, I'll hate what I do, but I'll make so much money because I do 400 of them a year. Like, it's just... It's insane. I don't understand these business models, but I love them. No one could have cried. No one could have been emotional at it. Like, it's part. He should have just showed up on stage and said, I'm David. You, you can tell your friends you saw me. Good night, everyone. And it would have been the <laughs> same experience. And it was like a mix of that. I went to – only because someone invited me. It was like someone who, who works with an NFT person, and it was like an NFT party. And, I mean, the security around this thing. This guy must be a millionaire just drawing pictures. It was just like – witnessing kind of the the peak of capitalism we're seeing david copperfield who's insanely wealthy yeah i'm seeing this nft kind of celebrity who's like you know 16 and has more money than god and it's for now for now <laughs> and it's all feels so hollow and all it doesn't warm my heart it doesn't move me and it's like oh this isn't the peak that's interesting like I hadn't thought about it that way, but Las Vegas really is a space for art that is in no way moving. Mm -hmm. um, I, because like, I love a good Cirque du Soleil. Of course. And that is just like all spectacle. Um, and also just sort of the erotic knowledge that there are 50 French Canadian, like muscly acrobats somewhere in the building afterwards. And like, that could be exciting. Uh, and then like, a, or like Rudner, just run in the same hour from 1988. Who's uh, Rudner? I don't know. Rudner. Rita Rudner. Oh, Rita Rudner. Yes. R remind me. It's Rita Rudner. Uh, she was. She's one of my favorite comedians. But she like my joke is always that she wrote a solid hour in 1988. And she's still doing it. Um, she was at the New York, New York forever. But she's just one of those people who's been there. Um, when I was like starting out in comedy, like 15 years ago or whatever, my parents we went to Las Vegas and they were like, we have tickets to go see Rita Rudner, and it was fucking amazing. Um, can I tell you my favorite Rita Rudner joke? Please. Um, what kind of what kind of car do you have? Here's the difference between men and women. Here's the difference between uh, men and women. And then I to you say, what kind of car do you have? And I say, uh, I have a Jaguar. And then I say, I have a white car. I have a white car. And it really is pronouncing the H in white that um, is the core of what Rita Rudner is as a stand-up comedian. And I love that joke. And she's been doing like the same... It's mean to say that she's been doing the same hour for the past 30 years, but she's been doing the same hour for the past 30 I don't years. Know if it's, but so, some people, that's their, that's what they do. I, I, I spoke with, with Jay Leno at Flappers once, yeah. and I asked, I said, why haven't you recorded an hour and released it? And, and he said, and I don't think this out he's like, are you crazy? I, if I can uh, wait four years, tour Portland again, and it's a new hour to them. That's really funny. And, and I thought, 
that's not who I am, at least now. Yes. But I think like, God, how happy would I be if if I never had to if I have an hour mm-hmm. and if I just did that and never had to worry about bombing or working something out again, yeah. whew, I'd probably have time to read books again and watch TV shows. Pay and, attention to those cars. But I go nuts. Yeah. It is like I don't generate material quickly enough, but I also do a, a bunch of different things. And I like I think it does. It depends on what you want. And like for some people, they like they just want the life. You know, they want to be a comedian. Yeah. You know, being a comedian is really fun. But that's like what Vegas is like. That's what that magic show is like. David Copperfield, whatever the show that we saw, half the show was just making sure none of us filmed the fucking show. Yeah. And we were like, we got it. One of those things, like, take our phones instead of telling us 20 times throughout the evening to stop. And it's because it's like, hey, we're going to do this hour for 10 years. Well, like, do you ever have an awareness of just, <laughs> of just like, well, this is not the best show that I am going to do this week? You know, of like when you're, when you're at a club doing a week of shows – and you you always go into it wanting every show to be the best. But there are times when you're just aware of like, well, this is not going to be the best one. Yeah. And it, it does it's, – it's a weird feeling because you have to be able to have that feeling to be a professional at this. But then also part of you should always be trying to find this audience where they are and bring them to the best place they can go to, you know? I feel like I'm definitely more – I never feel good unless I'm working at least something out a little bit new. Yeah. And if, if you were to ask me, like, how often I'm trying to just do the best set I possibly could, it's pretty small. It's pretty small. And maybe it's maybe it's a not a good way to go about it. But, like, I, I, I don't feel content. Well, it's, one of the, it's also one of the things that Los Angeles truly destroys comedians with because there's the way that, you know – you so frequently have to be on best behavior here, uh-huh. um, especially for like your first couple of years in town. And then you get these people, you know, like who just forget how to write a new joke or just sort of are because in, like in New York, you guys have to do hours on a regular basis. And like f- for so much of my time in L.A., it was just like you're anyone's just doing seven minutes for their first, you know. Yeah. 10 years here you started stand-up in new york no i started stand-up in san francisco california okay cool cool yes and then i moved here like two and a half three years in because i had a job not because i believed in myself let's be very clear doing i can't imagine every time i come to la i walk away going i could never imagine being here permanently for stand-up i think i would go nuts unless i was a huge celebrity and could get on at one of the three big whatevers yeah. every night yeah. because there's just not a lot. Well, and I do hate how much both times I have lived in New York for a job, I became a better comedian. I don't like that that's true. Yeah. What? Which jobs were the New York jobs? Um, one season of Totally Biased with W. Kamau Bell and uh-huh. one season of Billy on the Street. I had worked on, I worked on a bunch of seasons of Billy on the Street, but there was only one year – like a couple of times I came out for like a couple of weeks, but there was one year when I was just there for the whole year. Did you walk around during the shooting of Billy on the Street? Um, no, never. It seems very – I saw it once. Well, and I've done like Man on the Street stuff, 
And it was incredible because it was like a snake. I mean, yeah. it really was the snake of Billy and then a whole t- crew. And whenever he had an interaction, they would fall off to get a release sign. Yes. No, the, the, the one time I saw them like actually shooting, I was just having lunch and Doug, his producer, was like, guy, and then kept running. And I had to like come out like he yelled at me through the window and I had to like come out and run after them to be able to say hello. It's First, I don't have that. I approaching strangers. I've had tried a couple man on the yes. street. You know, back in the day, it's not in me. It's you, not in me to go to a stranger. I, I can do it. Mm-hmm. I do enjoy it sometimes. But like going up to strangers, I'm overcome by a they don't want to be bothered. Mm-hmm. I remember barking for some shows, which for people listening is asking you know, the random crowds, come see the comedy show. And there are some people who can do it. Mm-hmm. Go, hey, hey, look at you, look at you, look at you. I can't do it. I go like, I know they hate this. I mean, it's the same reason I can't, I don't ask strangers out on dates. I I, I just struggle with that. Could, would you, or have you do the man on the street stuff? I mean, I, I enjoy man on the street stuff. I love crowd work. Um, yeah. You know, I, I like it. Crowd work, I'm fine with that because we've accepted we're here. Yes. But otherwise, I'm just like, ugh. Well, when someone, it's like when someone approaches me, the, uh, there's nothing I hate more than people go, hey, how are you? And I don't remember people's faces or names, so I'm always like, hi. And then they're like, would you sign this? And I'm like, fuck, you, yeah. you tricked me. I very, at, both at parties and at bars, uh, will very aggressively mingle and will just walk up to a group of people who are having a conversation and integrate myself into the conversation. Um, and like sometimes it goes really wrong, but also sometimes it goes really right. Um, one thing I – well, first, you you grew up in – what is it? It's Yuma? Yuba City. Yuba City. Yes. And how far away is that from L.A.? Uh, it is seven hours north of here. And it's a different world. It's a different world. It is the prune capital of the world. It produces um, – my home county produces more peaches than the state's of Georgia and South Carolina combined. Now, peaches, I like. Prunes are fine. Uh, prunes should be much more respected than they are. They're delicious. Uh, peaches are great. I grew up on an almond farm, and there are also a lot of uh, walnut farms around there. Now, prunes, this is the pur- the purple? Yes, it's a plum. So I like plums, but prunes, yes. is it the same thing? It's the same thing, and we don't respect them for <laughs> fucked up reasons. You, like, you don't like prunes because people made jokes about them in like the 70s and 80s on sitcoms that you watched in the 90s. But why did they make those jokes? Because in the 1930s and 40s they were one of the few like accessible fruits and they were something like that could be transported places. And so like old people like they were associated with old people the way the grapefruits were because those were the fruits that they had access to in the 1940s when it turns out it's a fucking dried plum and it's delicious much better than a fucking craisin much better than a fucking raisin uh, listen i'm not going to defend raisins okay i'll defend grapes though okay. but prunes is is a dried plum it's a dried plum it's a specific kind of plum that's i mean fresh they are fucking delicious they're there's like cute little taut firm plum yes i i like that yes. i do like a good plum yes but the dried i'm not a fan of the dried and as as a dish, I think the reason it's not an apple is it's just too small. It's too small. It's too wet. I mean, it's very concentrated. It's, I mean, it is sort of like jammy, but I think we should be excited about that. Do you have – I mean, you. I mean, let's be honest. You're from the East Coast. You have no sophisticated opinions about figs. Um, uh-huh. Where, uh-huh. I mean, this is fucking fig country out here. There are – Los Angeles is so full of fig trees that are not being properly taken care of. 
if I become Betty White famous, the way that Betty White was like, hey, love animals, I'm and protected the LA Zoo. I'm just gonna go for the under the underloved fig trees of Los Angeles. Like, have you watered a fig tree today? I'm having trouble even placing a, what a fig fig looks like not in a Newton. It's, I mean, it's it kind of looks like a like a prune, like a little like like a little bag of delicious. It's, again, it's these small ones. I need something hefty. I yeah. need something big. It's like a kiwi. Mm-hmm. It's like I like a kiwi, but every time I get a kiwi, I, I never I never cut into it. John Marco, let me tell you a horrible story. <laughs> In the 1970s, Music Man style, someone came through my part of California telling the story of kiwis. Like, plant kiwis, son, you'll make millions. And then... Like a bunch of people in the town north of ours planted kiwis and then no one wanted to buy them. And it meant that there were like two months out of the year when everyone just had fucking kiwis everywhere. And like periodically somebody out of nowhere would be like, you want some kiwi juice? And it's like, no. I would drink kiwi juice though. For me, it's just the effort of the spoon and then you leave some in there. I I love a kiwi. It's got a little sour tartness to it. It does. This sounds like a – did you like living at this – no, Yuba? It, no, it's a horrible place. Horrible place. I mean, far from culture. Everyone had a job that gave people food or shelter. Like, you know, none of the – and now, from a distance, living in, in, like, a ridiculous city, I'm like, what dignity to those people. But those people in practice are uh, undereducated and mean. Where did you – get your culture from growing up then because you're you're a man of the culture that's very kind of you my mom brought uh, bought me a lot of books and did a lot of explaining to me that we were different because we were jews and that's why it matters it matters a lot to me some people are like you did not grow up with that very much and it is like only your mom why do you care about it and it was like this is something that mattered a lot to her and my grandma and so um, it matters to me. And was your dad working in the fields? Was he My father squeezing was con- those kiwis like we got to sell it somehow? He was a construction worker for most of the year. But then come like August. No. When did we start knocking the almonds? August is walnuts. But I think it was even after that. Because that, uh, almonds blossom very early and they come ripe very late. And then we would knock the... We, they, all of them were from from Arkansas, and they all said almonds. So, in when you say knocking the almonds, I like that is how they said it. We would like knock the as a family. My dad's parents and all of us would go out, and we would like the men would hit the trees with mallets, and the women would hit them with these like long poles, and then the children would pick them up and put them in buckets, and then I would get one present every year with the money that we um. So got this was from like almonds. a like a a ritual thing like it was like a fun like were people drinking and go like get the mallets no there was there was no sort of like charming mediterranean approach to this is a lovely thing like it was very get this done as quickly as possible so that we can make this money and then dad can go back to finishing concrete and the, the women had sticks yes flailing poles and were they effective, or was it just like get the mallet back here? No, no, no. It's very good. You have to you have to work the same of them. So the men hit the like big parts of the tree, and it vibrates. But it truly takes the women sort of like going through all of the leafy parts to get them to fall down. That's also sounds... my ability to distinguish this is I was a like four year old. I, I think we I was eleven when we stopped doing it. So I just figured it must work. I was not thinking critically at that point in time. I if that was an activity. Somewhere I would do it for a day. That sounds fun. 
Maybe it's hard after three hits. I go, ah, this sucks. I'm hitting a tree. Well, it's like apple picking. You know, when we convinced when we convinced convinced bougie people that it was a fun activity to go do agricultural labor. I want to. I said. I always told my girlfriend. I said I want to go apple picking, but too many comedians have done a bit on it. So, what's oh, the point? One of the most fun things is. Um, do you know what Cafe Gratitude is here? No, I don't think so. It's a wonderful vegan restaurant that is run by a cult. And when people would show up from New York and think that they had, they were like, I got this bit. Like one time, Emily Heller, there was like a very good comic who came from New York. And Emily Heller saw him doing a bit about Cafe Gratitude. And she was like, we have to tell him. <laughs> like, we have to tell him. You can't just everyone's it. done. Yes. Everyone's done that bit. We don't need your bit. It's very... It's very hard to tell that to a comic. Uh-huh. I I recently had a joke. It was a it was just like a one-liner in a chunk, but it started the chunk. Mm-hmm. And it was a bit that it was that Louis CK had done like 20 years ago. Yeah. Just it was a uh it mine was I've been my girlfriend and I've been dating for about a year so we're almost done. And he did uh I've been married for uh 10 years so we're almost done. Yeah. And who knows if I t- unconsciously took it, but that comic who told me it, I hated him in yeah. that moment because i had a joke that was working like yes 100 of the time any kind of audience and he took it from me no it, it's such a terrible feeling but the person is also doing you a favor because i know i you know can write, you can write more jokes and the last thing you want is for anyone to think that you stole from somebody in that way but these you know? days i gotta i gotta tell you i think we're we will have to adjust the way we think about because everyone's telling every joke online these yeah. days that there's a degree of like, well, every joke is kind of going to be told at least these like one liner quippy things like mm-hmm. there's going to be versions everywhere. Well, the thing is, is like for a week after a pop culture thing happens, everybody's going to make the same joke. And people who get too full of themselves about this person stole my joke, it's like baby doll, like it's not that original, you know. Yeah, yeah. I I had someone accuse me of still uh, uh, some. So they accused me of stealing a joke, and then they like posted the Twitter with like his joke earlier than mine. And yeah. then someone showed, quote tweeted that was someone else who had done it like three years earlier, yeah. and the guy just deleted it all. Yeah. But it was like, yeah, of course we should be very hesitant. You really got to have a track. If someone steals a chunk, yeah, sure. But these one-liners, I just think more and more. I remember when I made sketch comedy, sometimes people were like, you stole this from boop, 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 boop. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. Right. YouTube is huge. Yeah. Any premise that's really clean, you're like, someone's probably done it. I mean, that's fair. I mean, if something is too easy and there's a reason that I have to pull it out, I'm going to be annoyed by it. But it's also like, well, my my attitude is always, well, I can write more jokes, you know? Um, sure. But there are also just sort of like, as you're saying, premises and ideas that are going to be universal enough that if they are providing a foundation for you doing something more original, may just have to stay there. Sure. But also, I, I think I remember there was some physicist back when I was like into my my like philosophy reading about it where there was he was a philosopher physicist he kind of quit being a physicist he discovered something in physics and like some team in Japan discovered it like a day before him mm-hmm. and it's one of those things where it's not like 
oh, that's the easy, like if we were to map it completely right, to comedy, right. it doesn't mean that the joke or the discovery was easy. Yeah. It's just that they found it first. Yeah. And so it didn't matter that he found it. And for him, that made him become a full-time fiction writer. Mm. Like that's how jarring it was. Yeah. And in a way, it's like, well, that happens with, with art and with comedy. Then you just have to kind of deal with it and move on. Yeah. But I do think we'll get to a point where there's going to be so many jokes out in the ether written down on Twitter that any kind of clever one-liner, it's kind of going to have been done. What is TikTok if not infinite monkeys and infinite typewriters? Absolutely. Absolutely. Except infinite monkeys would probably be a little less hack. But that's I'm all about that. Are you on TikTok? Uh, I, like, I have TikTok so I can watch hot guys not wearing shirts lip sync uh, to people saying things. I do not post anything of my own on TikTok. I love at least reading some places where some people are like discovering their sexuality based on TikTok's algorithm is so good. Wonderful. That then they go like, huh, interesting. A lot of gay things. Oh, it's kind of nice that TikTok can discover that for you. It's true. And that the Chinese government has an authoritative <laughs> list of everyone who's gay. <laughs> Um, the, the, the one story, cause you know, of course I did my, my research. I, I went through your Wikipedia, your personal bio. It just says guy is gay. Uh huh. And that's the perfect summation. It's truly all you need to know. I was very curious about, uh, in college, yes. this, this paper thing. I'm sure you've talked about it ad nauseum, um, but, some, but, yes. but it's, can you tell what happened? So my last year of college, I wrote a column, a humor column for the campus paper, um, and I had forgotten about my deadline, and I was getting home about an hour and a half before I needed to send it. Like, it was like 12.30 or 1, and I had to send it in by like 2 or 2.30, and I just remembered that it was the week of the big game between Berkeley and Stanford. I went to Berkeley, and that was the first year that uh, Chelsea Clinton was at Stanford, and they had like yelled at a Stanford columnist for addressing the fact that she was there. And I wrote a column that was like, Stanford's full of rich, fancy people. We should tear apart that school. Like um, Chelsea Clinton has so much privilege, blah, blah, blah. And then it like, they did a little little story about it in the San Francisco Chronicle as part of the like, here's the big game rivalry. And then the AP picked up the story and it turned the line, Chelsea Clinton represents the Stanford ethos of establishment worship, which must be subverted and destroyed into Chelsea Clinton dot, 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 must be destroyed. And then 24 hours later, there were Secret Service agents at my home because um, then Mrs. Now Secretary Clinton had seen the AP article and was in San Jose. And so she sent some Secret Service agents to come to my home to determine if I was a credible threat to the life of Chelsea Clinton. How scared were you? I was upset. Like, I was just sort of like, um, I would say I was, like, confused. Like, I I was supposed to be turning in a draft of a paper, and I was like, what's, like, the most disturbing thing was that Berkeley called me. Like, the extent to which UC Berkeley, where did you go to college? Did you go to college? Yeah, University of Miami. Okay, so, like, is is that a state school or a private school? It's a private school. Okay, so, like, a gigantic state school doesn't contact you. Like, if you want something out of it, you have to go get something from it. It will at most, like, send you a letter or something. But the fact that, like, the registrar's office 
called me. I was like, what the fuck is going on? And they were like, some secret service is coming to your apartment. And I was just like, I was just like upset because I needed to turn in this paper. And then I was just like so cooperative. And I got so much more mad at myself later because I later was like, oh, this was attempting to chill speech that was obviously not a threat in any way. Yeah. Um, I should have been, I should have pushed back more in some sort of, um, you know, knowing my rights sort of sense. But at that point in time, I had not gone to law school, so I did not know my rights. And I just wanted to cooperate and finish my paper on, uh, it was my thesis on the British Royal Family for the history department. How many security agents? It was two. They did, look, it was the fucking 90s. Like, we were such a simple people. But the most classic good cop, bad cop of one of them only spoke the two times I resisted in some way. Two times I said, I don't know about that. And they were like, we could go get a warrant. And I should have said, go get a warrant. Um, but that was the only times that he talked were um, to do that. And the other one was like trying to soften me up and see, say like, this is not a big deal. We're just looking to see if you um, have any photos of Chelsea with red X's on them. I remember these specific lines because they were things that were quoted in the news stories about it. Because after, after that happened, my campus paper did a story about it. And then the, the Secret Service coming became a much bigger news story than um, uh, like the, the article itself. Um, the uh, Moscow Times called me a bad boy invectivator and Time Magazine called me unfunny. Time Magazine? Yeah. I would lead with that with, with press stuff. Yes. I mean, to be called unfunny by, by Time Magazine, the, the leading institution of humor. Um, was there a thing that, that and you had called Bill Clinton at a different time predator-in-chief? Oh, yes, I did. Which, which I called is him sexual predator-in-chief. Sexual predator-in-chief. Yes. Which is, is this uh, at a time when – I don't know how people – if they used that language back then or right. if it was like people were like, you can't say that about the president. Yes. Well, and people were just like, you know, it was just sort of a thing of like pe people were confused about why I was criticizing Bill Clinton because we were all supposed to love Bill Clinton. Uh-huh. And, you know, it, it's like he was a nice liberal and he appointed, appointed Supre uh, like uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and that stuff. Great at sex. And, and also great at sex. Uh, and then also, you know, um, banned gay marriage you know like he, yeah. he was a complex human being and there were a lot of people in the bay you know in the san francisco bay area who were just like why on earth would you do that um well good for you uh uh you never you didn't meet chelsea clinton i did not meet chelsea clinton it was very i i had a, a conservative stepfather growing up and it was just amazing he was definitely one of those who like hated chelsea clinton from the moment she existed in hillary just like it was a source of like, just kind of like, ooh, you're saying some awful things about this teenager. Yes. No, I mean, it was, I wasn't thinking critically about things of like course, that. Of course, it was a humor. At, it was at, humor. At, at that point in time. But it, it really was, um, you know, the Clintons hit at such an interesting moment for, um, you know, rage at women trying. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That, that cookies line people never forgave hillary for that i mean what she said like, too busy to, uh, too, too much I, work to make cookies i'm not baking cookies and standing at my is it this staying at, oh having teas and baking cookies and that was a separate quote from uh standing by my man like tammy Wynette. like it was i mean those were really rough and you could tell how that she thought 
that those were going to like appeal and be like sassy enough that people would get on her side. She thought it would be the like the way Elizabeth Warren. I guess Mitch McConnell said it about Elizabeth. She, nevertheless, she persisted. Yeah, like, that would be the line. People would have shirts like I got. I'm not baking, drinking tea, and baking cookies. I mean, she like she was trapped in that situation. Like she, like I'm fascinated, truly fascinated by the calculus that went on in her mind when she was at Yale Law School and was like, this is how much I could do on my own. And this is how much I could do if I become part of a team. At a point in time when women were not nationally meaningful as politicians, except as teams, really. And I'm fascinated by sort of like the course of events that led, like Marty and Ruth Ginsburg like for a number of reasons very specific to their relationship in 1980, we're able to say her rela- her career matters more. I'm going to take a back seat. And yeah. just the fact that like, Hil- like Hillary Clinton was not going to meet somebody who was going to take a, a, a back seat. And that's so rough, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, and then, so then you, you graduated from there and then you went to law where, school law school in Minnesota for no good reason. But you also did this quiz, quiz stuff, quiz oh, bowl. Yes, I was on, I was on Berkeley's quiz bowl team, but I wasn't good enough to go play anywhere else. I would only play at tournaments that were at Berkeley. But once I got to Minnesota, who had a much worse, much better funded team, they were like, "We need you everywhere." And so, and you were, were you the best on the team? I was not the best on the team. Uh, this guy named Mike Sweeney, who is an architect here in Los Angeles now, was the best on the team, but I was valuable. And. Are you someone who, who do you know what your IQ is? No. 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 But you have like a strong memory for. I mean, comics all the time. You know, they'll reference you as someone who knows oh. all the things. I, I mean, I'm insufferable. Truly insufferable. <laughs> like I, I recently worked on um, uh, History of the World for Hulu, um, based on the Mel Brooks movie, which is such a exciting thing. And two of the showrunners were these guys, Ike and Dave, who had worked with me before at the Mini Project, and were like. Guy will be good at this. He knows stuff. But then Nick Kroll was the other showrunner, and I had to be like, these guys already know how to be how to deal with me being like, well, no, no, no. The thing is, is I'm not gonna like, well, no, 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 that much. But I am gonna be like, here's how it actually works. And like Nick turned out to be very nice about it. But I I do have to understand that like I am going to be a little insufferable about like that's how it works or we have to pay attention to this. And they were on that show so nice about it. Like there were a couple of, of pretty um, like Lance Crowther, the man who played Pootie Tang and Pootie Tang also worked on that show and was also like, let me tell you how history works. And it was really good to work with him because we were equally insufferable. What kind of things like would people do people, uh, what did you catch? What did you go like, actually I like there was one point in time when Fran Gillespie um, was she was pitching a sketch called incestry.com uh-huh. like to determine how far back you had incest in your family and at that moment I was just like oh um, uh, George V and Nicholas II and Kaiser Wilhelm II looked the same we have to look at photos of the fact that these guys looked the same because there was so much incest in their families and you know it like did it waste four minutes of work so that we could look at how two guys had the same beard? Yes. Um, but, like, I, I don't know how to shut myself up in that situation. And it's so cool to look at. When did incest... I always love... I love 
they never work on stage. It's just <laughs> like real. I, I don't mean like the you know uh, West Virginia. I mean right. like jokes about incest because people just feel like it's a deep. It's there's such a deep disgust. You have to yes. the joke has to overcome a lot of disgust. Yeah. When did incest? When did people seriously start taking in, no incest seriously? It was. It's really weird because there are both like ancient Egypt and ancient Persia were like, you've got to marry your sister. Like, how are we going to keep this line pure if you don't marry your sister? Uh, and I, feel- I love the way that you're, the way that you're saying it is if, as if they're like a gay best friend, you've got to marry her. <laughs> She's got everything. You already know her mom. <laughs> um, like, I really don't know when we like solidly got to the point of like, you know, if it's a first cousin, the kid's bones aren't going to work, you know? Like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, how – I mean, they had to get to genetics. You had to get to, yeah. to Mendel, Mendel uh, and the peas. But, like, yes, but also, like, dogs don't fuck their sisters that much, do they? Like, there's also a thing of, like – I'm not the quiz bowl master. <laughs> do dogs fuck their well, – What animals do it? I guess not a lot of animals do it. I had a bit where I was saying if you go to, like – the idea was if you go to the zoo and you see like the chimpanzee exhibit. Yes. Everyone, maybe they're not fucking, but like everyone's sucking and rubbing and and fondled <laughs> with each other. And I essentially the bit was like, you know, clearly this is within us. I don't know if yes. it's much a bit as much as a weird observation about like something there's something there. We're not that far from them. I mean, didn't Yorgos Lanthimos make a movie about this? I haven't seen Dog Tooth, but to my knowledge, Dog Tooth is, is about, about your joke. Once, once I, once I had a pen, something about like we kiss our parents, and it's like we'll only go to first base with our parents. That's very. But like, funny. but we kiss, and it's like kissing is a sexual thing. Yes. And we're like, ah, n- nothing further than that, unless you're a baby. Like, just <laughs> there's, but it never. I mean, everyone goes is disgusted immediately that's so funny because babies are, babies are allowed to go under the bra and if you get them young enough they actually get to penetrate but only <laughs> in the process of coming out i i one of my like go-to bits for forever which i need to get rid of one day is my dad and i we kiss like yes. we kiss on the lips italian kiss and uh someone's saying do you kiss your dad in public i was like yeah it would be weird if i only kissed him in private and <laughs> I did a storytelling show once. I don't once. want my other dads to know. <laughs> <laughs> I did a storytelling show once where they needed to pre-approve, and it was not supposed to all be comedic. But they told me to take the joke out because they said it feels like you're making an incest joke. No one's ever called it that. But that's the reason it's so uh, – the reason it kind of tickles is something well, about us. I'm kissing my dad. And also the thing is, is like anytime you make an incest joke, because somebody involved is presumably – someone's child the idea of consent or what consent can be there becomes problematized even if it's complete adults possibly even step related on a pornographic film set like at that point in time it just becomes hot you know like that's where you really yeah. need it to be well the, the, i mean the the one thing about i i say that whenever those those incest porn things and it's usually step like uh-huh. there's usually a line between like step yes. and then actual but after that, after the porn is done, there should be a three-hour drama about how their, lines ha- their lives have been irrevocably <laughs> ruined. Well, one of the fascinating things is that once you get to gay stuff, all of the dangers, well, most of the dangers of incest disappear because there are no weird babies that could happen. And, like, 
I do, I recently worked with a pair of um, hot Israeli gay twins. And I truly was just sort of like, why don't they have an OnlyFans? Everyone wants to see this. Of course. I remember once, this is early porn days. This is me downloading it on Kazaa. And it was like, this guy sleeps with two hot twins. And I remember a moment years later, I was like, oh, those were sisters. And they were having sex with each other and this guy at the same time. And uh, I always think that's interesting because that's always the thing. It's like, well, you're going to have a fucked up deformed baby. Yeah. But then when you take that away, you have to admit at a certain point, you have to go like, well, it's just gross. Yes. And that is the bottom line. And I think in general, it comes into conflict, which I think a kind of contemporary liberal mindset of like, well, gross isn't a reason for uh, poo-pooing. Right. No kink shaming. No kink shaming. I mean, that that, that, that becomes a real challenge right there. Yes. I think even the no King Chambers would say, ah. Well, I mean, like, I personally, like, you're allowed to sexualize and enjoy your own body. And if you're identical twins, any degree of saying, like, ooh, gross, I could never, is just bureaucracy getting in your way. It's just rules and regulations that have been put on you. You should be able to, like, be like, yeah, yeah I love my I dick, see. and I love my dick when it's on somebody else, too. Of course. I think it should count as masturbation. Yes. I uh, when I was early into stand up again, it was like my stepfather came to and my stepfather has uh, my step my former stepfather and my mom have sisters. I have half sisters. Mm-hmm. And I did a joke and it was like he came to a show with like five people like uh-huh. disaster show. And I was bombing. And I said, the only downside of half siblings is is only half as fun to fuck them. <laughs> And, like, to silence. And, like, I can't imagine what he thought. He didn't comment on it. Yeah. That's not his cup of tea. But I, I can't imagine what he thought. Well, there's always that fascinating thing with stand-up when it comes to your family is, like, they are objects in your head. And they're also human beings. And, like, they need to understand on stage they're mostly just objects in your head. You yes. know? And, it's like, especially, like, you're – like, my parents – have only seen me do stand up twice and they don't like it because they think at all times I'm talking about anal sex and what bad people they are possibly at the same time. But I, I kind of like this detente that is like, you don't pay attention and I get to do what I want. Sure. And the couple of times that they were like pissed off about stuff that I tweeted, I was like, don't you understand? We have an agreement that only exists in my own head that you don't get to talk about this in exchange for not caring about the work I do. I I feel very similarly. My mom definitely knows my stand up well. Yes. She listens to this to this podcast. Uh my dad does but they never I say whatever I want. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm lucky in that. I mean, I talk some mad shit about my parents on stage. And sometimes I feel I remember once my mom came to see me in a show and I like I like wanted her to hear this new joke which was uh the only way my mom knew how to show me love was with food. Uh, or hostess cupcakes specifically. If I got 100% on a spelling test, she let me have one hostess cupcake for dessert, which is why even now as an adult, when I do something well, I get this intense craving for a better mom. <laughs> and, I, and I felt this like I wanted to, I was kind of excited for her to, and it's like a mean joke. Yeah. But I also think, I, and she can hear this now, but but that she has a mean sense of humor. Right. And so like, 
I think I'm lucky in that because I certainly can see a different mom who would start crying at that and it would be a long talk and I couldn't handle it. My mom has a mean sense of humor. She just also is incredibly vain. And so, you know, is, well, honestly, she just like doesn't like people talking about her. She's like a private person. It is weird to her that. I talk about Does all she of... know the internet? Does she understand? No, and it's wonderful. Like, That's good, because she... if she understood how many people see... Yeah. If she looked at the YouTube and was like, oh my god, 160,000... No, like, she she cannot use the internet except to shop at JCPenney and Macy's, and I like it that way. Uh-huh. Um, it's it's very nice. When I, when I wrote a book, I, like, I had a chapter about my dad, and my dad was dead, and it was, you know, it was sort of not a... It was it was a complex, you know, emotional chapter. That I mean, probably the least funny in my book. Um, but I wanted her to read it just so that she, because I knew that she might be mad at me on his behalf, and if uh-huh. it was appropriate to be mad at me on his behalf, I wanted her to do that because my dad can't be mad at me anymore. And um, but she was like, "No, it's fine," um, and like. That was, that was good. But like my mom, yeah, it like. Is there anything about your mom? Because I thought my dad had a, had an open heart surgery last year. And is there anything that you think you want to say artistically or about your mom that in your head you're like, well, when she's dead? No, I, I told a lot of jokes about her at the beginning of my stand-up career. And I do sort sort of still have jokes about her but like i you know and like i actually have i have some stuff that like i'm self-conscious about putting in material because like if she did ever see it i'm like oh this would is a weird way to for her to learn about this or whatever but i also want to try to defeat that because i want to be able to talk about anything in my life yes i agree um and so i just put that away but like no, I mean the the wonderful thing about her as a person is like I can say anything about her and she'll just get really mad at me, you know? And like that would be the thing is like she would get really mad at me and then you get we, to deal with it. We would get just it deal and move past it. Yeah. Um but That's it's good. like most of the things I like the only joke I think I have about her right now is just about her being deeply paranoid. And like she knows that she's paranoid and but she thinks that I think she, my mom doesn't think she's paranoid. She thinks she's ready. I just call it paranoid. Uh-huh. uh-huh. I like that. I like that. Um, well, we're, 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 we're close to the end. So uh, yes. let's go to our, uh, this has got it. Once we hit the dead dad, by yeah. the way, we, every, every <laughs> guest yes. seems to have a dead dad. Uh, uh, do you have a, this has got to stop. I do have a, this has got to Please stop. Please tell me. All right. Heterosexual male energy at award <laughs> shows. This is not for you. This is not your space. And I'm not just talking about the Will Smith, Chris Rock slap. Fine. That was at least an interesting moment. I'm talking about <laughs> like every year when we have to deal with like we've picked somebody to host the Oscars who hates Oscars and has said faggot a thousand times. It's f- like it's faggot Super Bowl. Like I'm not going to expect Lady Gaga to, you know, um, get to be the quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for a year. So maybe like your like 
homophobic, misogynistic comic doesn't get to host the awards. Maybe you don't have to talk about how awards, stupid awards. If you want to roll your eyes at an award show, don't go to an award show. Like they're for us. I, I like I, I do have to accept that every three to four years in the middle of the Super Bowl, they do let Katy Perry be there or whatever. So if we need to do something in the middle of the Tonys so that straight guys feel like attended to once every three to four years, that's fine. But it is just a straight guy coming up and like, you ever notice the lines to women's bathrooms are so long? Exactly. Exactly. What are you doing in there, ladies? I mean, Jerry Seinfeld being the like halftime show at the Tonys would be perfect. But I just don't need you guys like coming into our space and shitting on it. I don't want to ever hear somebody hosting an award show tell me how stupid award shows are again. Shut up. Who's your ideal host other than you? Oh, I mean, like Billy Eichner. That would be a good time. Also, I would get to write for that show. I would probably make a guild income in some way. Um, you know, fucking like Amy Schumer was great. Her like her monologue uh, was so fucking funny. Like I would like to see Nikki Glaser doing more of these things. Like I do like a solo host. I don't like sometimes I can handle a pair, but I'm like you gotta you gotta take your chance and believe in your person because I want the show to have an identity. The energy was weird with three hosts. Regina Hall. It was very interesting watching two stand up comedians, and then. Regina Hall, who is a very good actress, and I was stunned by how good she was at selling the bits that were clearly written for her. But, like, yeah, I mean, it's like we know so many people who would work really hard at that and, you know, sell it and be celebrating what the space is, but we still don't allow women to be in charge of things like that. Yeah. Um, but and like, they always pick someone who's too high up. Billy Eichner, I don't know Billy, but he's like at a perfect level where like that's still a big gig. Yes. It's a cool, exciting, big audience. But instead they pick someone who's like a, already beyond that yes. and goes, I don't really care. And uh, who's the guy? Uh, 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 Gary Shandling. Gary Shandling. When he hosted it, it seemed like he was like, this is my special. I love Gary Shandling so much. Did you ever watch its Gary Shandling show? I watched here and there. I need to watch the full thing. Okay. But I, I have seen enough. I mean, you were very like you were not a person when it came on, but it's it's so bonkers and it's really hard because like you have to put yourself into a nineteen eighty seven state of mind. But um it was really good. But like the wonderful thing about Wanda Sykes is that she always does the work. Like I have worked with Wanda on on History of the World, she would in between scenes on the Upshaws, she would come into the writer's room and like be pitching jokes. And I I really respect that because yeah. there's people who want to protect themselves by pretending they're bigger than things. And that's a great way of being bad at the job. And I have written for hosts of award shows who decided that they were bigger than things so they wouldn't have to try. And they were very bad at hosting those award shows. Go look at IMDb and figure out who I'm talking about. <laughs> So this has got to stop. Say it one more time. What is it? What did you call it? Uh, heterosexual male energy at award shows. Great, great. Um, I I like to bring a good homosexual energy through a heterosexual vessel. I I mean, it's one of the things that was most recommended to me about you by Twitter um, was Jay Jordan rhapsodizing about your nipple work. You know. <laughs> oh, thank God! Thank God! Um, uh, when that's, let's end on a, a one nice positive note. I do have a, a blessing. You better count your blessing. Oh yes. I think we are all blessed by Anne Hathaway's performance in We Crashed on Hulu. Have you watched it yet? I, I, I auditioned for it. I didn't get the part. 
uh, and it's you know. What did you audition for? Uh, I auditioned for she's in an acting class at oh, some yes. point and the scene partner in yes. the class, and I said a guy who overacts. Yes, this is mine. I, I believe they went with classic comedy fat guy. And well, okay, you know, that makes it easier for me. If it's yes. a totally different type, yes, that's great. Yes, okay, good. I don't think they wanted your charisma there. That, um, that's what it was. No, two in shape, yes. Um, she is doing full Silver Lake Witch at you. Um, and it's so good. And we as a culture decided to hate Anna Hathaway for a while for trying too hard. The only moment, listen, I agree. Yes, I remember the moment when she got, I believe it was a Golden Globe, and uh-huh. said. It's really happening. Yes. And for me, I said, okay, that's an inside thought, if it was even true. And we all knew you were going to win. You were yes. amazing in Les Mis. Yes. And there was something about that moment that in, inside me I said, okay, I agree with I you. Mean, it was it was, it was. was. She's astoundingly she's, talented. She's performery. Nobody's saying she's not performery. Also, the, the thing I love best, which I didn't identify, Louis Vertel identified, is that if you ever ask Meryl Streep about Anne Hathaway, she will tell you how much she loves Emily Blunt. Like, she will just reply. Hilarious. <laughs> but Anne Hathaway is so fucking good in We Crashed. Like, she's, it a, is, she's an astounding actor. She's an astounding actor. And to have somebody do something, because they're like... You watch Drag Race, right? Uh, here and there. Okay. So there are those performances like House of Gucci, where most people were doing Snatch Game. And like, she could be doing Snatch Game, but she's not. She's like acting, but giving you the the biggest take and the biggest swing. And it's so good. Um, all right. Well, I will watch We Crash just for her. Uh, does he do a good job of, of matching her at all? I mean, he's Jared Leto. So, I mean, <laughs> he's giving you wonderful and broad. But, like, compared to House of Gucci, it seems so contained and sure. up. Um, so, uh, uh, is there anything? This is coming out April 12th. Uh-huh. Is there anything you'd like to plug as we, as we head out? Uh, if you are in the city of Los Angeles, I am doing an hour as part of Netflix is a joke uh, at Dynasty Typewriter. Um, and if you're in Austin, I will be at Moon Tower April 14th through whenever I leave. Uh, are you going to Moon Tower? No, I'm headlining uh, uh, my plug April 14th through 16th Comedy Vault in Batavia. It's near Chicago. Oh. Uh, but who knows? Maybe Moon Tower will reach out and I will I will drop that gig in a heartbeat. But I'm excited to be there for now. And uh, weekend after that, April 22nd, 23rd, I'm at Wise Guys Comedy Club. Uh, in Jordan's Landing, Utah, first time, and then the weekend after that, Looney Bin, Oklahoma City. Uh, but but Guy, uh, thank you for being here. I'm so glad. I mean, I'm such a fan of your work on Twitter and yes. everything else. And, what a lovely way of properly meeting you. And I like to end with something uh, negative or cynical. Anything, anything, you, uh, a sad note. Oh, um, oh, yesterday I saw a possum in my backyard, and so now I constantly have to be worried that somewhere. In my house, inside, there might be, like, a possum in, like, underneath the floor or something. This is the downside. One, two, three. Downside. Downside. You're listening to The Downside. The Downside. With Gianmarco Cerezi.